Today I have uh, David Liebeskarin, uh, Professor of Neurology at UCLA and is the Associate Director of the UCLA uh, Stroke Center. Um, David is the lead author uh, of uh, an Editor's Choice article for JNIS that is slated to be published uh, in the June issue. Um, the title of the article is Early arrival at the emergency department is associated with better collaterals, smaller established infarcts, and better clinical outcomes with endovascular stroke therapy, the SWIFT study. Um, David, uh, thank you so much for uh, spending time uh, with me today. Oh, thank you, Rob. This study was really a reanalysis of, of the SWIFT data set. Can you summarize a little bit about the SWIFT study, the patient demographics, and, and the methods used in this analysis? Sure. So the SWIFT study itself, which uh, preceded uh, many of the uh, subsequent uh, uh, landmark endovascular trials that we've seen in, uh, in the last uh, couple of years, was a uh, non-randomized study, um, uh, I should say extended retriever use, for uh, treatment of acute ischemic stroke. The SWIFT study has uh, been uh, published uh, now several years ago in its original format, uh, and this was a uh, retrospective reanalysis of the data at the patient level with respect to uh, the imaging as well as the time points uh, in terms of uh, the specific workflow uh, for, uh, for these patients enrolled uh, in, the, in the trial. Uh, the variables that could be abstracted from uh, the centrally uh, collected imaging data, which constituted the pre-procedural as well as post-procedural imaging, uh, principally the findings based on non-contrast CT scan uh, and uh, the angiographic details uh, acquired at the time of the procedure, we were able to um, uh, look at uh, collateral circulation. And, and what were the, some of the major findings uh, of your reanalysis? So the key findings were uh, that there was a, uh, a very uh, intriguing uh, time relationship, uh, not that it was surprising, but a profound one uh, that underscored the impact of time as it relates to some of these other imaging variables uh, and ultimately patient outcomes. Uh, what we care about in endovascular uh, stroke care is, of course, uh, improved outcomes for our patients, uh, but how these uh, variables in between uh, change over time is, uh, remains a, a, an open question. So understanding what happens with blood flow, collateral circulation, and the impact in terms of the downstream tissue, uh, the amount of ischemic injury that takes place in the brain, uh, may not be the same uh, from patient to patient, although we do know that uh, overall uh, there is now uh, a clearly established pattern where uh, things uh, get worse with time. So uh, uh, another way of looking at this is that in the most recent context, now that we have uh, subsequent studies uh, of endovascular uh, care uh, for acute ischemic stroke, what we've learned is, of course, is that there's no longer a question about whether endovascular therapy works uh, and is uh, the best approach for the patient with a large vessel occlusion uh, in the setting of acute ischemic stroke. Uh, and uh, it's very clear that uh, there is a time relationship in terms of uh, uh, outcomes where earlier is better. And I would say that nobody would ever argue uh, or propose that later is better or going slower is better, per se. But uh, this paper is important because it goes beyond what we understand now at a class level in terms of uh, endovascular therapy uh, and uh, the time uh, effect and really drills it down to an individual uh, patient level uh, analysis uh, in uh, in granular detail. Right. Um, you, you mentioned the the need for speed. I know um, the University of Cincinnati group um, 
has been espousing that you know for over a decade uh, basically it seems like there's almost a catch-22 situation between uh, the need for speed and the desire to um, assess the physiology before you start reperfusing um, where do you stand on that right so I mean I think there's some interesting examples from from this specific paper when you look at the methodology and the nature of a retrospective analysis is actually quite different than uh, than obviously what we do as we treat stroke patients one by one uh, in prospective fashion. And there's advantages and disadvantages to each approach. I think that at the time of enrollment in a, uh, in a clinical trial, uh, imaging is utilized um, uh, really just to uh, uh, ask the basic question of whether it's appropriate to move forward to the next step. Uh, and uh, there's less time, of course, uh, to spend uh, digging into the details. Uh, in a retrospective analysis like this, uh, we start to learn a little bit more about the pathophysiology uh, in detail where we do have the time uh, to look for subtle changes uh, and how these uh, variables may be important. Uh, so this catch-22 or uh, about how you're using imaging and uh, selecting or not selecting patients for endovascular therapy uh, is a very interesting conundrum uh, because obviously we want to select uh, patients uh, and not just patients for endovascular therapy, but select the right treatment for each individual stroke patient. Uh, and each patient, even with an M1 occlusion, uh, from one case to the next, there are different patterns on uh, imaging uh, and, uh, and subtle clues that may be important, not just in terms of when you go to the angiography suite, but even beyond that into the ICU and subacute uh, course. Uh, so the great opportunity here uh, exists in uh, leveraging the data that's available at the patient level uh, to start to understand uh, how it may impact care overall. Uh, and I think that um, practice patterns, now that we've moved largely from trials uh, to practice for endovascular therapy, uh, are still going to vary. Uh, people do things uh, differently in different scenarios. There's a great question out there, of course, about triage and systems of care uh, where uh, uh, patients uh, with stroke should be treated initially and the potential for diversion to comprehensive stroke centers. And Overall, the, the question about how you utilize imaging, not just what you acquire in terms of a specific imaging modality, do you obtain a CT, CTA, or do you go to an MRI approach, or do you do simply a non-contrast CT, uh, and where do you obtain this, uh, at the mothership or the local hospital? Um, these questions uh, uh, not just remain, but they're going to expand with things like the mobile stroke unit as well. So I think it goes beyond this because it's not just acquisition, but it's how you're using that imaging information at the time. And uh, and this depends a lot on other factors, such as who's looking at the imaging and how it's being used. So I think the ultimate goal is to develop expertise in the use of imaging. Uh, as part of the clinical evaluation, it's uh, not distinct from the, the clinical examination as traditionally uh, conceived. It's all part of the same uh, process of triage. Uh, and how we use this information, I think we have a lot more data on that's going to come out of larger scale studies and registries uh, where we can start to change practice. Because the goal in the future, of course, is to figure out whether there's things, clear messages about how uh, we should streamline certain patients uh, uh, relative to others. Uh, so I'm looking uh, really for a positive path here in terms of the opportunities to further improve our care of our stroke patients. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, um, and uh, until you um, just said those things, I, I, I perhaps didn't realize that maybe 
before answering some of the bigger questions, um, as you mentioned, like um, imaging um, selection paradigms and systems of healthcare for for triage and transport. Um, you know, maybe we need more information, uh, like uh, was obtained in this study, in order to, um, you know, appropriately uh, make uh, decisions about how how to alter those things. Um, I noticed in in, in the manuscript uh, one, one of the things that you talked about uh, was the concept of uh, collateral failure. That, that to me that was intriguing. Can can you elaborate a little bit about that? Perhaps greater than the uh, the simple question of the role of collateral circulation in terms of the beneficial effect is uh, the additional question of uh, why would collaterals fail and what happens with perfusion downstream from an arterial occlusion over time. Uh, and um, and I think this is likely to be multifactorial and unfortunately continue to intrigue us for years to come unless we can accelerate this with, uh, uh, with more detailed uh, imaging data. And that's because uh, there are a number of processes that occur at the same time, so that uh, although we think about the fact that the perfusion may be uh, sustaining patients out to a certain time point, the fact is is that it is failing uh, in the sense that the patients are becoming symptomatic at that point. And we do know that uh, that over time, there seems to be a dropout of this collateral perfusion. Uh, the causes, however, remain completely uh, unclear. People have proposed that it may not even be the, uh, the collateral circulation, that the ability to revascularize uh, patients may change over time because of clot changes, clot composition, interactions with the vessel wall. And I think that, you know, a, a big uh, unknown is what happens to the endothelium in terms of the downstream uh, collateral vessels that are perfusing uh, from other territories. Uh, they, uh, they may undergo ischemia as well, uh, and pressure changes within the, the hemisphere as well. So uh, there are a number of factors there that may lead to collateral failure. Uh, which may define uh, the time curve for an individual patient. And that's really the question here, I think, is one of, in an individual patient, uh, and particularly from a practical standpoint going forward, when you're treating that one individual patient, what can we glean from the imaging data to tell us about the likely course? Uh, are the collaterals going to fail, uh, or may uh, that be a, uh, a more benign course? Overall, the... Um, people have taken two different uh, or distinct approaches. Uh, one group uh, may advocate for just treating everybody and not really getting down to the levels of the details of, uh, of these variables up front and figuring it out afterwards. Uh, and others would want to be able to use that information in real time uh, to properly select or uh, refine what we do in terms of our triage algorithms. And I think there's probably a benefit to both uh, approaches. I think the answer that's probably most useful is that we should be uh, treating uh, the greatest number of our stroke patients. Uh, but a real gap remains in terms of collecting the proper data. So a minute ago, you mentioned the fact that, um, you know, that this relates to, you know, the, perhaps the dimension or the depth of the data that we obtain. And there's a great distinction between trials and, uh, and what we do in practice. And in, uh, in the clinical trial environment, before you before you plan a trial, of course, a uh, sponsor and others want to know what elements, what data points are you going to collect, uh, even when it comes down to the details of endovascular therapy, such as procedural aspects. Uh, and there remains a question and an even a roadblock in terms of the need to collect such detailed data. Uh, after the fact, however, it becomes quite apparent that uh, the more data we have about these factors, 
uh, is likely to be important. So uh, I would strongly advocate the fact that we need uh, better systems uh, to uh, uh, automatically collect uh, and standardly uh, collect such data in systematic fashion using things such as common data elements uh, developed by NIH where there's no question about the definition of these variables, uh, but to utilize the data that we have uh, routinely uh, available. So we struggled for a number of years, as you know, with uh, the question about uh, should we go and is there a role for endovascular therapy uh, in the care of our stroke patients? And I think, you know, unequivocally, the answer is yes. Uh, and then uh, the focus has shifted a little bit more to the go-no-go approach of selection. And should we use imaging or collaterals or aspect scores uh, to select or not? And I think we have two different camps, as I mentioned, in terms of treating everyone or, uh, and, uh, or selecting with the imaging at the time. And I think the, the next stage, the next generation, is going to really reflect upon uh, not just the, the decision about go, no go, but really how to go, uh, how to change what we're doing procedurally, uh, and even after, as I mentioned, in ICU. How can we tweak the uh, therapy that we're delivering now and that we've proven? Yeah, I agree. The the it's interesting that to me, and I'm sure you, you realize this as a neurologist, but the care of an individual, uh, or even a, from a study design um, uh, of stroke patients, is uh, very segmented, um, separating out whatever re reperfusion tactics uh, are separated out from as you mentioned, the after-ICU care, and, and really all those things uh, need to be looked at together because um, it's sort of a package deal uh, with um, what the eventual patient outcome uh, is. Um, so, um, Well, David, um, thank you very much for uh, agreeing to speak with me today. This has uh, been, you know, a, a fantastic data set that you know, I'm sure we'll, um, the field will be able to use um, uh, in the future. And you're, you're right, we have so many more questions uh, to answer, but all of that um, to me is, is, is exciting. Um, so th I thank agree. you very much. Thank you so much.